Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. It's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. So I want to give a caveat before I really get started on this podcast. And I want to say up front that um, we might have to mark this one explicit because I have very little to no intention of filtering how this information leaves me, though I'm settled into my body. I'm grounded. I can feel my feet on the floor and have taken numerous deep breaths. So um, I'm, I'm just present and in the moment. But that's my caveat. If you are listening to this with children, uh, yeah, you, you just might <laughs> want to think, think about that. Because um, how I express myself today will likely be pretty different than how I typically express myself. And um, I also make no promises for being linear in this podcast. This is actually for me. I thankfully had therapy today with my therapist. So I was able to process. Well, that's not true. What I needed from my therapist and what she gave me was to be witnessed and to cultivate and hold space for me. And just taking a second to even just highlight that as a therapist, cultivating safe space for people and holding that space is is what I do. And um, my journey in somatic abolitionism has further rooted me in my understanding of how important and sacred that is as a practitioner, as well as someone who's journeying on my own experiences. And so I didn't and haven't really done a whole lot of processing of this. Um, So that's what I'm doing. I am using my platform to externally process something that happened to me today and uh, the things that come up for me as I do that. As a fat black woman navigating this world, I find that censorship is embedded in the spoken and unspoken rules of how our culture works. And we see this demonstrated Because when black women specifically express themselves in their full authentic nature, how often they are labeled the angry black woman or ghetto or whatever vernacular or words people use. Um, This is a present truth as well as a 
historical truth. So, um, I ain't doing that shit today. So here we go. Um, I find that as a storyteller, (laughs) so I, I think a few things contribute to how I engage with the world around telling stories. One, I am a storyteller. It is, um, a gift of being able to kind of cultivate story with detail. And I find that I am an even richer storyteller in my writing. Jay says that I write with a paintbrush. And as I sit in community, uh, in writing community, the feedback that I am almost always given is something along that line. It's like my ability to bring forth not just details, but all five senses and a really felt sense of emotion into my writing. But another thing is, um, details are important to me and I, I have a deep memory and that was before I learned to use my body for memory as well. That was just what I kept in my head. So I'm just saying all that to say, like, I'm gonna get where I'm going. Um, but context and details are important. It's interesting that a couple of weeks ago, uh, we did kind of a best of season one where we took one of our highest listened to podcast, which is the nature of trauma. I think it might be, I don't remember, actually, I don't remember what episode number it is, <laughs> but um, we did the best of season one. And this outside of um, my developmental and relational trauma episode, which in part, then I think people are interested in it, but the numbers are elevated in part there because there are numerous communities in which I hold space. And for people to get an understanding of context, we refer them to listen to that episode. So I think that is the number one listened to episode. And then I think right behind that is the nature of trauma. I believe the reason why the nature of trauma is so highly listened to it's, not, it's, it's because it's real stuff, but it's it's vulnerable and I share my real experience. So um, we, we put that episode back out as a best of and it already is getting more listens to in this season than the other episodes in this season. So that leads me to believe that people really are interested in hearing the anecdotal and real life experiences of people who can then take those experiences and put them into context of the brain, the body, healing, resilience, somatics, and all of that. And so that's kind of what I'm doing today, the nature of trauma part two. So um, as this is being recorded, we are the week of Thanksgiving in 2021. And I've taken off the whole week. Um, So my husband and I were able to... uh, spend some time together and one of our go-to date days is Costco. Um, And so we went to Costco and there's a number of things on the list we needed to get. And I have to say that I am not a person who likes crowds. I don't like, I don't go, I haven't been to an actual real grocery store outside of going directly into the pharmacy in probably two years. I don't like grocery stores. Um, It's a place um, that is rooted in the survival of humanity, food, and all walks of life converge and it can just get crazy. So I generally avoid the grocery store and thankful to a supportive partner. I don't have to go in. 
But what begins to just like be challenging for me in holiday season shopping where it's really crowded is everyone is generally speaking in their own little bubble um, doing their thing. Everyone has their own list. Everyone is in various states of urgency. Everyone is in various states of prioritizing what's important. And that doesn't often, in my experience, leave room for a whole lot of empathy and leisure and all that stuff. So anyway, we're in Costco, we do our thing. It's actually not that bad. And we check out. And at this point, we we're going to go to the grocery store. And I was, I'm like, all right, let's do this. We're going to do it together. But I had therapy at a certain time and it was like an hour and 15 minutes. We recognized that was not enough time for us to go to the grocery store. So let's just grab something to eat. We don't have enough time to like go anywhere and sit down. Let's just grab something. We wanted something quick, but we didn't necessarily want fast food. So we um, traveled towards home through a popular street that had a lot of food options. We decided on two options that were in the same plaza. So as I pull into this place to get ready to park, there is, I'm coming up into this parking lot, which is a relatively small parking lot for about four businesses. And I'm pulling up and directly in front of me is a corner parking spot with a car in it. And the car has on their their backup lights. So I uh, stop way short of that car. Um, I even kind of signal my flashers to say, hey, go ahead and come out. Cause I'm like, they'll come out. I'll just go into this parking spot. So it took them a while. I think they were probably trying to assess, is this car going to stop? Okay. The car is stopped. Are they going to stay stopped? And I remember just saying out loud, like, are, I wonder, if, are they coming out or are they just sitting on the brakes? As that's happening, um, they begin to come out and leave And this car is coming from my left to make a right hand turn coming in my direction. And she makes the widest turn and she doesn't hit me because I've, I've stopped back far enough to avoid that. But if I had been in an even decent space, like she could have hit me fine. Right. I, I'm not unreasonable though, dude, why are you taking that turn so wide? But here's the thing. She, she gave me the stare down, <laughs> which look, what you looking at me for? It wasn't, it, it, why are you looking at me? This was probably an older than middle-aged white woman who was just like giving me the stare down. Like, okay. But I, I fall into, you know, these things like her look has nothing to, I don't know. I'm using my, my boundaries. I'm not taking all that in, whatever. So I pull into the parking spot. My husband orders his meal on his phone. We're sitting in the car. And I say, you know what? When your order is ready, I'll go in and get mine. Because mine is one of those places where you go in and you get a bowl and you tell them what you wanted. And it doesn't take that long. Go in, get my food, come out, get in the car. Very shortly after I get to the car, my husband gets in the car. We're settled and I'm getting ready to leave. I look in my rearview mirror. And in the same way that I was approaching the car that was parked in my position, there was a car there too. So I was like, oh, there's a car coming, but the car stopped almost to kind of say, come on out. And this happened to be um, an SUV that was for the local sheriff's department. So cool. They stopped. I start backing out. I back out. I turn my wheel 
so that the back of my car goes to the right because I'm getting ready to straighten up and go straight. And boom, I hit something. So I'm like, oh, my God. And I look and I'm like, what is that? And I hit a car, a parked car. So I pull back up and and in hind, like after I or while I was hitting the car, like I, I could hear the horn. So the deputy was like honking the horn to let me know that I was about to hit a car. All that was happening so fast. So I pull back up. I'm like, oh, my God. So I get out of my car and I walk to this woman. This white woman gets out the car. Um, And OK, I'm also pause here. Does the fact that she's white matter? Absolutely, it matters. It matters for this. It matters. And so also, <laughs> I'm going to tell y'all, this is the nature of trauma. This is the nature of racialized, generational, ancestral trauma. That is what I'm talking about today. Um, but if you notice that my description of these people and calling them white did something to you, note that. Where did you feel that in your body? Did you automatically rush to your brain and go, well, why does the race? Because race matters. It fucking matters. Okay. So I get out of my car and I walk up and this woman gets out of her car and I am like, I am so sorry. Like, I don't, I don't even know. And I was like, I guess I was too busy focusing on the sheriff. So at this point he's pulled up, you know, he's gotten out of the car um, or he's about to get out the car. And I'm just like, oh my God, like. I I don't even know what to say. Like, I am so sorry about that. Let me go get my insurance. Now, as I'm saying this, she is saying um, she's not up. She's not like showing any visible signs of being like upset or anything. And she was like, yeah, I I was just parked here. My kids are um, in the store. They were picking up the cake. And I'm thinking like, why? Okay, why is she telling me this? It felt really I don't know. It felt bizarre. But I was just like, oh, my God, not to mention I am fighting my own like obviously my adrenaline is high i am definitely in action um within my nervous system so that part of our nervous is my sympathetic nervous system that fight flight that action oriented space is activated heart rate is elevated um i definitely have some of my prefrontal prefrontal cortex. If you've ever seen the hand brain and we talk about the fingers, I'm not completely offline. Like I, I can hold on to some uh, of my capacity to be rational and logical and all this stuff. And so as I say that to her, um, I go to the passenger side of my car, my husband's sitting in the car and I'm looking for my insurance car. Well, the sheriff or deputy, whatever, come who is a white man, comes to my side of the car, I guess, looking for me. When I notice he's looking for me, I go around the back of the car looking for him. He went around the front of the car looking for me. So it's like, is he over there? So he comes back and he meets me on the driver's side of the car. And he did say something like, you know, I saw it. I, I was trying to honk my horn, trying to get you to stop. But I was like, you know, I, 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 now I realize I was hearing the horn. It all just happened so fast. I was like, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say. I was like, I'm getting my insurance. And he says something like, Okay, well, if if that's what both parties want to do. And I'm like, okay, it feels weird, right? And what he there was like, there was subtext, subtext that I was not catching on to. I think in part because while I had some of my prefrontal cortex, I had flipped a little bit of my lid, right? I mean, I just smashed into somebody's car. And so the way he's engaging with me, it's not what he's saying, it's what he's not saying, So I get back, um, walk towards the 
uh, back of my car. And the woman is saying, she's, she's telling the same story. You know, I just came here to pick up, you know, my kids are in there picking up a cake. And, you know, had I known, this is such a small parking lot. And, you know, had I known that it was going to be like this, I wouldn't have came here. And I'm just like, okay. And he's like, oh, and he, he almost is just like, okay, well, go ahead and exchange insurance information. If that's what you want to do, your insurance companies will negotiate this out. And then before he gets in his car, he looks and he says, if that changes, just call the sheriff's department. If what changed? Like, what is happening? I don't. Okay, fine. So um, I realized that the paper copies of my insurance that I would always keep in my glove compartment are expired because the insurance company we have now, our cards are digital. So my husband is like, yep, I got the card. I'll pull that up. And it, I looked and then it began I began to realize what happened. I think the reason why I began to realize what happened is because nothing at this point heightened had happened. I had taken some deep breaths. I was with my safe person. All of these things I needed to regulate began to happen. So as I was regulating, my heart rate started to regulate. Um, I, I was granted more access to my prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that is logical and rational and can think. And as I began to look at this woman, what I realized is she wasn't parked in a parking spot. She was parked illegally. She made her own parking spot. So she was parked in between two vacant handicap spots in this space that was wide enough to be a parking spot, but had those yellow lines to indicate don't park here. So then it like slowly starts to come to me. You shouldn't even be there. And, and, and why this is important is because while all of this is happening, I am fighting this growing voice narrative storyline in my mind that I am a bad driver. First of all, I'm just not a bad driver. I am extremely conscientious and cautious and aware um, very high success rate at predicting what other people are going to do in life and while driving. So if you recall and have heard the nature of trauma part one, all of what I shared, well, most of what I shared was this experience where this big old pickup truck tried to bully me on 75 South and ended up going on the median. We swipe cars, all this stuff. And then I got cited like it was my fault in the midst of like all of the other things that were going on. So as this narrative is growing, I am just like real. And so being able to realize, no, wait, because where she was parked and where I hit her is the only place that a car parked in my parking spot would be able to cut their car to be able to get out of that parking spot before engaging forward, unless a car were to back into that spot, which is um, is very unlikely during a busy time because you just wouldn't have access to turn like that. So it begins to occur to me that, okay, Shonda, you ain't fuck up. Like you didn't do anything wrong. You did everything you were supposed to do. She shouldn't have been there. Now, at no point am I trying to say I didn't hit her car I hit a fucking car hard <laughs> she it dented it in I hit the car at no point was I even being like thinking 
I didn't hit her car or I'm justified in hitting her car. But as I'm like talking to Jay, it is like coming to me and I'm like, oh, like this ain't even a parking spot. She she is not in a parking spot. And it began to make sense to me why the deputy was responding like he was responding um, because she wasn't supposed to be there. So I go get ready to engage with her, get ready to talk about the insurance. And I said, so this is starting to make sense to me. This is what I said to her. This is starting to make sense to me. You're not in a parking spot. Okay. And I said, so now I, I'm starting to realize like, if you were in an actual parking spot, like I, I wouldn't have hit your car. So she immediately was like, oh, well then I'm calling the sheriff back. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm just having, I'm just, I'm attempting to have a conversation. And so she's like, well, you know, no matter where you are, if you hit a car and I'm like, hold on, I'm not saying otherwise, I'm having a conversation. And you know how people like <laughs> the term now is Karen. I watched something shift in her and she like, definitely increased her distance and she got all defensive. She's like, I'm calling. And I said, well, please call the sheriff. I'm trying to have a conversation, but you're right. I would rather actually have this conversation with the sheriff present. So she gets in her car with extremely tinted windows. So, and I'm not even checking for her. I come back and I'm standing on the passenger side of my car. The door is open. My husband is in the car. And, and that is when these like, I, that is when, I'm not going to say that's when things started to happen in my body. No, that's when I came into my body enough to recognize what was happening. And so as I'm like talking this through, my body, I, I fall short of being able to describe what was happening in my body. But there was tense tightening in my limbs. I was moving into the fight response. Um, tense in tightness in my extremities, there was this like, um, imagine, okay, this, this might be a good exact, I've never done this, but I've seen videos with people working out where those really, really heavy, big ass tires. And they're like flipping the tires as exercise. It felt like that in my stomach, like there, it was heaviness, but it kept rotating. And like, I, I'm, I, I am getting, the best, yes, I'm getting angry. That is a good word to describe it because the first thing I say to my husband is I was trying to have a conversation. And really, I I think ultimately what I just needed, and maybe this was the validation because at right now, the narrative that is being spun is I did something wrong, right? Now I hit her car. What, I mean... <laughs> Not I hit her car. I'm not going to deny. I hit her car in front of a cop. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to deny this, but this narrative, like, she won't own this shit. Like, I just need you to like not give me excuses because let's be real. You, she had a number of other options with a busy plaza. Drive around. When they come out, they can walk towards you, or you can come back. Actually, park in one of the handicapped spots instead of the spot that's not even a spot. She got out of the car, like with her excuses, instead of just owning that shit. Like, hey, this is a really tough situation. You know, I wasn't supposed to be here. No. So she, <laughs> oh, 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 mm. okay, sorry. <laughs> so I hadn't framed it this way in the, the time that I've thought about it today. You know, I think the narrative I was going with earlier was, 
you know, she got defensive. She moved away and did that. No, 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 no. She went and she evoked the system. Mm, That's good stuff, right? That's good shit. She wouldn't even have a conversation with me. The first thing she did was she went to evoke a system that she know had her back. If this too much for y'all, leave. This is Amy Cooper. Remember Amy Cooper in Times, not Times Square, Central Park? Walking her dog, dog off the leash. The black man said, um, put your dog on the leash. And she called the police and, and began to get in hysterics. Talking about something he was going to hurt her. No, the same Amy Cooper evoked the system that she knew would have her back. And so did this woman. So I'm sitting there. And as this is growing, what I am feeling in my body is not present. It's not current. I began to, fin- to feel in every inch of my body, the tremendous weight of this same narrative, white women in this particular, no accountability, no responsibility. I hit the car. I want to be playing about this. And at no point was I trying to say anything otherwise, but her refute, her refusal, her avoidance of actually naming and taking responsibility for her part. I could feel it. So then I'm not lying to y'all. I heard it in my ear and I saw flashes in my face and I closed my eyes tight. I took deep breaths and I'm like, "Mm -mm, I got to push this away. I can't do this right now. This is what I heard. Emmett Till. Emmett Till. Same thing. No responsibility or accountability. Oh, so I'm getting hotter and hotter. I, my blood pressure is getting higher. I I can feel myself. And I I pulled out every, every regulation, toy, skill, tool that I had. It was keeping me present. So I time, you know, at this point, I, I'm, I'm pretty close to flipping my lid. So I have no recollection of time. But I would say within probably five to seven minutes, the deputy comes back. It's the same deputy. Um, so he pulls back up and gets out of the car. Uh, she gets out the car when he gets there. I'm already out of my car. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but it's more like, you know, yes, like what's going on. And I just waited for her to talk and out of her mouth. I don't even know what she said, but it was a bullshit lie. She went on to say, well, she said, and see, let let me tell you a thing about Shonda. Don't misspeak on me. I am far too intentional with my words for people to misquote me, misspeak me. No, if you... Say what I said, but don't don't put your spin on it. No. So whatever she 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 essentially tried to insinuate that I said to her that I didn't hit her car or that I and and I I said first of all and let me if I ever start something with you with first of all everybody is messed up. So before we can even say that the officer was like, okay, I'm gonna stop you here. He said this because it's not a crash. This is a civil matter. It's not criminal. So I can write up the crash report and you give it to your insurance companies and they will negotiate it. So, you know, and I said, that's fine, but I need to say this. And he's like, okay. And and as I'm talking, I watch him read my shirt. Um, 
I was wearing my purple cropped labors of love counseling and consulting hoodie. I was cute, had on my jeans with the rips and my little short black boots. Yeah, as he was reading my sweatshirt and I said, I'm glad you're reading my sweatshirt. I said, listen, I am an extremely reasonable person, more reasonable than the general population by far. I am not being unreasonable. And he looked at me and he just was, it's not even shaking his head. He just nodded and said, I know. And I said, and I never insinuated that I didn't hit the car or was trying to avoid responsibility for hitting it. But where's the responsibility for her parking in not even a parking spot? And he said, ma'am, because this is private property, there are only three, four or five things that someone could be cited for. And there is nothing I can do to cite that. And it was at that point that I'm just like, there it is. Like, Mm -mm. So it's like, so yeah, I'm pissed. I'm real pissed because here it is. It it's, she gets to just, just nothing. So at this point I've pulled out my, um, my driver's license. I gave him my driver's license. He needs my insurance card. It's digital. And he is like, he's, his cadence is very, um, slow and regulated um, I, I have nothing negative to say about him. While we're talking, another officer pulls up. Um, he says to that officer, can you get her information or whatever? And he's talking to me and he's like, no problem. I'm going to give you my email address. You just let me know when you're ready. Now it's taking me a while. My husband has emailed it to me. I have to download it and send it to him. And I'm moving slow because I, I'm like holding on to a thread of my um, my cortex at this point. And he was extremely patient and all that stuff. So I send it to him. He goes and gets in the car. So I'm I start. I go back. I'm standing next to the car. Oh, and then the officer says, um, I'll just, is it just one person in the car with you? And I'm like, yes, my husband. And he's like, okay, I'll need his driver's license to put him on the crash report. And he began to move towards the passenger door to get his ID. And instinctually, I didn't even think about this. It was in the processing of this or the explaining this to my therapist that I realized I instantly put my body between him and my husband. That right there, that was that ancestral wisdom moving out. Now, my body goes between you. And what I appreciate is he immediately, I don't, look, I don't, I don't know if it was going through his mind or whatever, but his response was exactly what it needed to be. He paused his movement. He took a step back and he said, yes, yeah, can you get his ID for me? Yes, I can. So I went, I got his ID. And I gave it to him and everything. But do, do you, can y'all, can, so when we talk about the nature of trauma, my, under my conscious ability to think this shit through, my body was doing what it needed to do, which was stepping in the gap between law enforcement and my black husband. We've read this book before, right? But another thing is, as I was talking, I... I felt this tug of war in my body. And this, this right here, this part was real deep to me as I was talking to my therapist. 
the tug of war in my body was the simultaneous physically feeling something pulling me to shrink. I could feel it. Don't get loud. Don't get angry. Get small. Just I could feel this pull. And as I think about it, that's that's survival wisdom right there. Because in the nature of uh, trauma part one, as I was pissed that this white woman officer had come back to my window to tell me that I that I was I was at fault for a big ass pickup truck trying to bully me off the road and I got impassioned and I'm like no that is not what happened she, I saw her become uncomfortable and move her hand and that where, where's she moving her hand to I don't know which of your weapons you're moving it to but you're moving it to something and I shut completely down that's survival wisdom and I knew my baby girls are in the back seat my her comfort at best or safety at worst was being compromised by me being my full authentic self in my expression and I knew instantly that that could have meant my life so I had to shut down so the same wisdom is popping back up in this instance and I am like I can feel this pull for me to just shrink be quiet be still just deal with it it's pulling me and what's fighting it what's fighting it is the last the since January but definitely since March this whole year has been me actively saying authentic I will be me I ain't holding back I am going to be me I am going to be me it is me doing the work to get in closer connection with my body it is me saying I I want to connect with my ancestors I want I want to connect with those who were before me and while with it brings their wisdom and their joy and their courage it also brings their trauma and their trauma responses. So there was a part of me that was like, no, you stand up, take up your full space. Don't you shrink? You ain't got to shrink, be you. And there was another part that felt so old and ancestral. And it was like, Mm-mm, don't you do that. Do y'all know how much that hurts? That I can actively feel this in my body, this tug of war. Because what I want to say is this shit ain't right. I hit the car. I'll, I will take responsibility for my part. But we get to just look at her like she's some victim because the parking lot was too full for her to park her car while her kids went and got a cake out the store. But if I raise my voice, if I get it, if I be my full self, who does that intimidate somebody? Does that violate someone's comfort or safety? Not to mention the weight of representation. Because if I, if I, if I, if I, if I get a, if I allow all that's happening to me to come out of me, I don't represent Shonda. I don't represent the CEO and founder of Labors of Love. No, I represent black women. I represent black people. And I could feel the weight of that representation too. Y'all, it sucked. So I could just feel myself like just, just holding on. I in in because I used to work in crisis situations often. 
I have a really, really, really high capacity to um, keep my shit together in crisis situations. Um, But when, when I let go, I'm letting go. So I know, and whatever that means is I just, I do whatever I do, which is usually move into some sort of shutdown. So I, I negotiate, I plead with my cortex. This is very real. I mean it. I am saying to my brain, listen, I promise I will let you flip. I will, I will take good care of us. I'm gonna have good self-care, but I need you. Okay. I need you to just stay right here. They're going to be asking questions. I'm going to need access to answers. So I'm negotiating with my brain. Which in order to do that means I have to disconnect from feeling things in my body. And so I'm doing all of this. So it took them a long time. Again, time is relative in these heightened states, but longer than I thought it should. Him and the other officer was standing out. The other officer was standing outside the car. He was in there. They were looking at the computer, asking all these questions. I have no idea. So finally, he comes out. They give me my license and my husband's license. One officer takes my phone number down. Um, and then, you know, the officer says, um, within a couple of days, you should be able to go onto our website and get the crash report, turn it into your, you know, insurance, they'll negotiate this or whatever. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. like, I, I have no words, right? So we get in our cars, she, they, the officers leave, she pulls off. And I'm getting ready to leave. As I'm getting ready to back out, <laughs> you can't write this shit, y'all. Another car, another car comes and pulls in the exact same spot she was just in. And I, like, I was so close to losing it. <laughs> White woman hops out the car. And I'm just like, oh, because why this is important too, I can't, the only way I can safely get out of here in the normal driving pattern is to be able to maneuver into this spot. But thankfully, I saw her. I didn't ram. I didn't hit anybody else's car. I back up and I go. But it is at that point where it is now the point where I start to lose it. So again, I'm pulling out all of my stuff. I am breathing deeply. My husband is giving me touch. He's rubbing my back, giving me some pressure on my arms. And I'm just repeating to myself, I am okay. I am okay. I am okay. I am okay. Um while crying, just tears silently streaming down my face, exactly the same way they did as I was traveling 75 South. And we get home and I just realized I'm not leaving my house for the rest of the day. Like, I can't engage with the world. I just want to go. And so at this point, I begin to shut down. When we move into shutdown to the parasympathetic nervous system, where we are in shutdown um, and freeze. I'm in freeze. Things start to happen like I lose my appetite. When I tell y'all, Shonda don't lose her appetite. Like (laughs) I can count how many times I've lost my appetite, but each time I have is because my body has moved into shutdown. So we get home. I no longer have a desire to eat. Haven't eaten all day, but I'm like, I'm going to take a few bites because I know I need to eat. I'm preparing for my therapy session. And again, I I'm get on and I tell her, this is what I need. I just need you to hold this space with me. And she does. She does a wonderful job of it. You know, we are able, we, she's really able to witness me. And she's really able to sit and hold space for this narrative, this age old ancestral narrative. The misplacement of 
blame or the alleviation of responsibility and all of this stuff and how the systems benefit all of that. So she was able to hold all that. After therapy, all I could do is like, I got to go take a nap. I got to go take a nap. I recognize this was not rejuvenative nap. This wasn't, this wasn't, I'm not going to say it's not self-care. I, you know, but it wasn't, oh, let me refresh. No, my body was steadily in, in shutdown. So I get in my bed and I'm like, maybe I'll just watch a little TV. When I tell you I got in that bed and once I finally was in my bed, I felt like my body weighed 500 pounds. It was like dead weight. It was like my body felt so heavy. My eyelids felt so heavy. I could feel my body shutting down. The nature of trauma. And I just laid there. And then I I, I went to sleep. This was like my children were coming home from school soon. So I could hear the hustle and bustle of my house. I could hear my children like screaming and playing and where's mommy and all of this stuff. And when I tell you I couldn't move, I could not move. My husband kept coming to check on me. Like, are you okay? Do you need anything? I don't like, I couldn't lift my head. Shut down. I wasn't shut down. This is, this is what shutdown can look like. Just, Oh my God. So after several hours of being in the bed, I finally started to feel like I could rouse a little bit. And what I knew is that in order to get myself out of that part of my nervous system and shut down, I had to activate my my um, sympathetic nervous system. Rather, that was, um, I just needed to get my heart rate up. I needed to get something to like... Uh, to zap me for lack of a better term. So I went to the bathroom and I used my bidet <laughs> and it's a cold water bidet. So uh, that was a zap that I needed. And so that, that helped get in. Then I'm like, okay, just walk around. So I like walked around my room um, before I went to the bidet. I, I sat up, I sat up in a chair next to my bed. So I'm like gradually trying to help my body move and move into the sympathetic nervous system. And I was able to go downstairs and I'm still, I still wasn't completely active but I was able to like engage and then being around my kids and one of my daughters she has so much energy just this beautiful beautiful Bricky is amazing and so her energy was like revitalizing it was like she was giving me emotional CPR <sighs> like I came down those stairs and my girls were like mommy and she ran and she hugged me and and in her energy and it was like it was like bringing me back to life it was it was what i needed y'all community community is part of that healing process and so you know i was able to kind of be more alive uh in the evening this shit is real y'all I want to be clear. What I experienced today was not just about the incident. It was about feeling the weight of decades and centuries of of just a system 
just an overall system that is so it ain't broken it's working exactly how it was created but a system that does not benefit my body or the body of my family or my ancestors and I could feel that and so as I went through the day these various things start popping up the 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 close relationship to my personal experience um before that that I shared and then you know I just had to sit and be like you know and then (laughs) all of a sudden I just start thinking about Kyle Rittenhouse and the you know what do you um not not guilty but dismissed of all charges that bullshit you know the 17 year old who was carrying a machine gun and and don't don't, mm -mm, I want to talk about the laws you know, cause, and, and I will be fair. Like I ain't watched that shit. I don't have all the details. I don't need the details. My body holds the details. I don't care if he could legally carry a gun. It doesn't matter. We're talking about a system that you murder, like no responsibility. He ain't got to take no responsibility for that. None, none. But then, you know, I saw these things and I tried to just keep my distance, you know, but, you know, comparing this to, um, uh, Trayvon Martin or my God, Tamir Rice, who was playing with a play gun at the age of 12. My son is 12 right now. And he just no responsibility. This is the system. And it lives. It lives in all of our bodies. This don't just live in black people's bodies. As we are embarking upon this ha holiday, this Thanksgiving holiday that has been lied and repackaged. You don't think that lives in that don't just live in the bodies of our indigenous brothers and sisters who have to put up with the lying bullshit that we teach our kids in school and sit down to a table and say it's about family and thankfulness when it's really about genocide. But it doesn't just live in their bodies. It lives in everybody's body. And if you are in a white body, it lives in yours, too. And and the, the systems that have been created to to shelter your comfort in these situations, the avoidance of what I don't know, going back to my situation today, you know, if not admitting that you shouldn't have even been there because you think your excuse justify it, it, it lives in our bodies. It is the nature of trauma. If you find yourself saying, why does everything have to be about race? Get your head out your ass because it is. It is about the end. And first of all, race is a social construct. It ain't even real. Race itself is part of the system that was created to benefit some bodies, white bodies and those in close proximity to white bodies. This is part of the trauma. This is it. This is it. So. Yeah. Um, I will say, I do not feel helpless. I do not feel hopeless. I actually am not experiencing any particular heightened emotion in my body right now. Um, and I, and I don't think that's because I'm dissociated from it. Um, upon moving into my, like, I've been trying to reground and get into my body, um, the whole day, because you know what, you don't, you don't just avoid this. So my somatic abolitionism work, um, is with Resma Minikim and his team, um, 
Aaron Trent Johnson and uh, Kareen and Carlin. And, you know, I want to give them their due because I know, you know, we know Resley, he's the author of the book, but there are women holding him down. He is in community with beautiful women, beautiful black women, uh, beautiful white body women. He is in community with these women who are making sure this work goes forth. So I just want to say that, like, not to be dismissive of their contributions. Um, but in his book, My Grandmother's Hands, which I highly, highly, highly recommend you read um, or listen to. And he just is, he's pre-orders are out for his next book. But anyway, in there, he talks about clean pain and dirty pain. Clean pain is our collective um, intention and, and, and decision to face this shit. Face it head on, look at it in its eyes, call it what it is, be real about it. It is hard. It is painful, but that's the clean pain. The dirty pain is to act like it don't exist, to make excuses, to, to do all these things. Both of them are painful though. In the end, that dirty pain is going to cost so much more. We are, we are living the results of dirty pain of centuries of, of people not addressing what is what is now, what was then, and what will continue to be if we don't course correct. And so this is my clean pain. If you've made it this far in the episode, this can be part of your clean pain too. Notice the defensiveness. Notice the the narratives you want to bring. When I, I, I said, as I was talking to my therapist, I said, I recognize that there is a part, some part of me that is still this part that highly identifies with whiteness. And I recognize this part of me when it shows up because it's always the part that's like, well, 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 it's well, it always starts with well. So when I'm thinking about Kyle Rittenhouse, it's like, well, can we really compare this? It's, yes, we can. And yes, I fucking will. So that part of me, it's in me. I know it's there. I'm not shaming that part of me. I'm also not so much silencing that part as I go, mm, okay, you're there. But what we're not going to do, notice what's happening for you as you listen to this. How did your body respond? What stories did your brain start making up? You know, as I was talking, I said, not only am I reasonable, but I am such an empathic person that while I was standing there, part of the discourse that I was having with myself was acknowledging what that woman might have also been going through. She did not set out on a journey to go pick up some cake, <laughs> to have her car hit and and how the the instantaneous excuse making and all that stuff was some part of her default system. And in the fear that she might've been experiencing, I, I was able to sit in the reality or sit in what could have been her, her possible reality, how I perceived her reality could have been amazing. How her, I, when I tell y'all, I almost couldn't complete my sentence when she like, I'm just calling the cop. her. She, she knew in her bones, in her blood, that ancestral knowledge says evoke the system. At no point does she have any app, any like fear, like, oh, well, damn, I am like, hella illegally parked there was she didn't give a shit about that because she knew the system would uphold her but I still considered her 
I've thought about, um, so I don't know if any of my listeners are NBA fans or whatever, but um, a recent game, the Detroit Pistons were playing the Los Angeles Lakers. LeBron James plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. And even, I think his name is Stanley. Jay, was his name Stanley? Yeah. Uh, there's a player for the Pistons whose name is Stanley. And in a, in a play, LeBron James elbows Stanley in the face. Um, and near his eye, don't remember which one. And do so there's almost this like, you know, scuffle on the court. You know, people come in, they're trying to hold Stanley back. You know, it appeared that LeBron was trying to like apologize and things like that. But Stanley was heated. So they separate them. And Stanley kept trying to engage physically, like in a fight with LeBron. So like people would pull him away try to calm him down by this point he has blood gushing all over his face and he keeps trying to get to LeBron and every time you think that they've given him enough separation and he's calm he'll like break free and try to run around all the way to the point where at one point he like sprints off towards the locker rooms almost as if he was going to like run around the back try to get to the other side I did not see this live I saw a video of this the most heartbreaking part for me was watching it and hearing the commentators use words like crazy and da 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 da. And they were spinning a narrative about this young man. First of all, I have been the person directly touching the Stanleys <laughs> in my life. When I worked in residential and day treatment programs, I worked almost exclusively with adolescent males. Some were super big and other. And I have been the one saying, hey, hey, hey. I've been the one breaking up the fights. I've been the one trying to get them to regulate. I've been the one there. And and as it is, I got so sad and angry because no one, none of the commentators are actually going, wow. Like this, this kind of reaction, like he's in his sympathetic nervous system. Like whatever has gotten activated in him this is not this thoughtful choice and but no one gives a shit about like how the body actually works this is not about condoning or not condoning it's about saying like yo what's happening right now we got to understand is deeper than this moment but so, instead we create narratives around the output of what's happening without caring about what went into a person I, I say it all the time what comes out of a person makes sense if you understand what went into them but as i watch that that's the lens i come from i i can see beyond i can see the central nervous system of this young man. And yet everybody else just wants to have these colorful worded narratives about why someone is doing what they're doing. And I think one of the frustrating parts is knowing this is how I am as a person, knowing that I'm not just saying this because I'm on a podcast. I don't need your kudos. I don't care what you think about that. This is how I live my life. That I literally, in all these situations, am able to come back, usually in the moment, to this space of understanding and empathy and all this stuff and yet I'm trying to have a conversation and the first thing she does is evoke a system that without hesitation kills people who look like me I'm grateful that the officers who showed up did a lot of things right I never felt innately unsafe when we got home my husband there he's nurturing and That is when he and I had the conversation and he says to me, um, and I don't want this to be a misquote. This is definitely the sentiment, but I hope you're not mad 
that I didn't get out of the car. And he said, I played it through my mind so many different ways and I could not see it ending well. And I said, no, babe, I had, I wasn't thinking about this in a moment, except no, I wasn't, I never thought about it. I know that my body instinctively moved would not allow that officer to get anywhere near my husband, despite how calm and everything he had been. No, 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 I no, no. We read this book. And so then I had to empathize and think about what my husband must have been feeling like, like the helplessness that could have been going through there, like him wanting to, I don't want to even say protect me as much as just support me, just be there with me. But the best decision he could do was to stay as far away from law enforcement as possible and stay in the car. Like, that's real shit. If you're in a white body, do you do you do you realize that that ain't how y'all got to operate? That if if some kind of incident happens and you hit a car that everyone can get out the car and and talk it through and, and be present and can stand. Do you think about that? Do you think about how you don't have to think about it? That's what I'm bringing to y'all. The things you don't have to think about. Why I drive so much. Instead of my black husband, like that's what I'm bringing this. These ways of surviving. That's the trauma. Not the incident itself. This is real. And this is happening all over. And this was a rather benign situation. I think the point I was originally making was I I navigate the world as this empathetic, very reasonable person. And the second I tried to have a, and when I tell y'all, when I started this conversation with this woman, I'm no lie, like my tone, I was, it was just like, let's talk this through. I'm, I'm it, cause it was just starting to come to me. Oh, all of this weirdness that I'm experiencing from her. And I was, I was making sense. You're not in a parking spot. So I'm wondering, and I wish cause her face, how it switched from what I now can recognize is her realizing I shouldn't be in this spot. Oh shit. Oh yeah. No, no, I'm not mad. Let's just exchange information. But the moment I stood in my truth of like, Oh wait, I'm not completely to blame her face shifted. And I am trying to stop seeing that face shift on repeat in my brain, but y'all should have saw it. Her eyes shifted, her face hardened, her distance increased. And it was like, well, I'm calling the police. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that age old wisdom. That's that Amy Cooper. And it's happening every single day to black bodies and bodies of culture all across the world. Ooh. So the nature of trauma part two. My God, I hope there doesn't have to be a part three and four. But if it is, I'll bring it back because this is real. And and I want to say without a doubt, you are privileged and blessed to hear this episode. For me to share so authentically my real, raw, authentic, fat black woman's experience encased in no shame in the liberty of using my voice unapologetically, it is a gift to you. 
I have had some really important people in my life help me to recognize what a gift it is. And I want to thank them. One that comes to mind specifically, Daniel Hughes, is constantly reminding me of the gift that my sharing is to all people, but particularly white people, white bodied people, people who pass this white people whom the system benefits because you don't get to hear this that often. And I believe I can deliver it in a way because again, <laughs> any hint of our reality, particularly if it's said with emotion triggers your discomfort and then all of a sudden there's either a sh- whatever rebuttal shutdown evoking the system that benefits you and so this is a gift and I hope you take it as such um not what I intended to talk about today I actually wanted to talk about moderation as self-care <laughs> maybe I'll talk about that next time but um yeah that was my experience today I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides all of the music for the Labors of Love podcast, to my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media. And I do genuinely appreciate you listeners for tuning in. If you would like to reach out to me, you got suggestions for content or guests, um, head over to the website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. Uh, don't forget that we have an uh, Instagram page specifically for the podcast, the underscore LOL underscore pod. And if you haven't already rated, reviewed, and shared the podcast, go ahead and do that. It's good shit. So until we connect again, you all be well. <laughs>